Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. It is a Monday edition of Flyers Daily for the 13th of March. Lucky 13, as uh, Bill Meltzer joins us for his weekly visit from PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, NHL.com, and HockeyBuzz.com. And, well, Billy, we've got plenty to discuss on this episode. That's for sure. Never a dull moment. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, I mean, the whole goal of this thing is to return the Flyers to, uh, you know, one of those important franchises in the NHL. And, and I tweeted this out yesterday, and I'm just going to start here and, and say it again, that, and I've made no, I've never, I, I've said this publicly, in my 28 years in this business, there's nobody that I have covered that's been as gentlemanly, a good guy, a good human, he happened to be a really good player too, as Danny Briere. I'm fond of him as a human. Do I know if he's going to be a good general manager? I don't. I don't know that. I can't say that with any certainty. And I don't think anybody can. I think the only, you know, we'll get that answer as it, and you know, as it plays out and history will give us that answer. But he's a guy that I think, you know, really put in the work, uh, going back to school, going to Wharton at Penn and, you know, schlubbing it in in the East Coast League, starting on the business side. He's prepared himself for this moment. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm excited for this. I'm excited to see young eyes, fresh perspective, and everything that goes along with Danny Breer. And we'll see how they assemble the rest of the staff around him. But I think this is an exciting time. For sure. I mean, it's uh, endless possibilities because he's brand new at it. And uh, at least his head GM. I mean, he has, you know, he's gained a little bit of experience. He's, as you said, he's worked, he's worked towards it a lot behind the scenes um, and taking on bigger responsibilities. But this is, this is, this is a whole other, there's a whole other, whole new challenge. You know, it's not like, uh, you know, like as a player, when you're playing at the, the lower levels of the game, right. And I mean, Danny was GM of the main, of the main Mariners, for example, but being an ECHL GM, it's not the same as being an NHL assistant GM or assistant to the general manager, as whatever terminology they used, or uh, you know certainly being being the head guy. Um, so there there isn't a track record. There's nothing to base it off of. But at the same time, you look at credentials and you look at. I mean, certainly, certainly one thing that that uh, as as nice of a guy as Danny as Danny is. When he was a player, he had some real killer instinct. He was a competitor, mm-hmm. um, you know. And one thing that came, one thing that came out to me in, in, in the first press conferences, um, and always struck me as a player. This is a guy who does not lack for confidence. You know, this is a guy who was uh, smallest guy on the ice ever, much most games, most games in his career, and he was fearless. And whether whether it'll succeed, whether it'll fail, you know, only time will tell that. But he sure lacks nothing for confidence. So, you know, he's uh, he's not going to be afraid to get his hands dirty in, in here. And, um, you know, he's not he's not exactly sure yet. as to, and, and understandably so, because it was only 48 hours as to how, how the staffing look, other, other than Brent Flair being back, it sounds like everything else will be up for discussion once they – once you get a team president in place, once there's a timetable, once, once other – possible organization shifting happens too, because this is only one step of many, you know, the, uh, you, you can only do so much in season. That's why you know, some people were complaining. Well, hey, 
it's only Danny. Like Brent Flair is going to stay and whatnot. Well, you know, in, in the case of Brent, right, that this is awfully late in the, the draft year cycle to make a change. Uh, if you come in half a season, they, that that's a whirlwind to prepare. A quarter of a season is not enough time. It, yeah. it, just, it just is. So, you know, so there were only there are only going to be so many changes um, before the end of the season, and then you know there may be some right after the season. There might be some later in the off season. I mean, so I don't think that uh, I don't think it makes sense to pass any judgment until you know until there's something to to base it off of, and yeah. you know one one press conference certainly is not enough. One uh, you know one off season, one one full season. It's going to be it's going to be a long process. Um, you know one of the reasons why I had and I still truthfully have Jason some skepticism is uh, you know I, I, I mean I'm from Philly and, and I know Philadelphia fans and you know, they're, they're all on board they're all on board slash burn change everything around and oh yeah we, we'll wait we'll wait we'll be patient well if you, you're restarting you're re- largely restarting this process by restarting this process you're essentially saying the attempted rebuild under Ron Hextel did not work and we're going to take a step or two back to hopefully take several forward. So you're all, we've almost reset the clock on it. And, yeah. and I'm not saying it didn't need to happen, but I'm just saying that that's reality. So if, if three, the Flyers missed the playoffs three more years, three straight years. So now they miss it six in a row. You know, are, are they still getting patient with Danny? Does, does it depend if they're on the cusp at that point? You know, four years out? You know, how, how many years out? That, that, that's all to be determined. But but I do know that this is a, a a fan base that is passionate, and that's the good part. Um, you know, the other part of it is also impatient. impatient. <laughs> yeah. So we'll, we'll we'll see how it goes, right? A year out, two years out, whatever. And sometimes sometimes when you when you start a, a process of, of rebuilding, you know, the the guy who uh, starts that process isn't there anymore by the time it's it's finished or nearly finished. Yeah. So. You know, Danny has has all that, you know, all that to work with, uh, or work around, uh, or or show that he can handle. It's a, it's a massive undertaking for for anybody, any level of experience. So I think the first steps, Jason, are see how and you know see, see what's adjusted, see what happens this off season, and um, you know see year to year how the not just the NHL team but how the organization top to bottom is looking. The change, the change over time. So this is uh, this is step one, and, and it's exciting. But there's, you know, now now it's time to roll up the sleeves and and get to work because there's a lot of work to do. Yeah, and assemble the right staff, and and that's the big key now, Bill, because they separate the general manager position and the president position, and I think that's a good move. You see it all over the NHL now. Both of those are full time jobs, and you need that president to kind of be that buffer so you can. You know, you, you get caught in minutia if you're the GM and president sometimes with some of the business elements and you want your GM to be focusing on the roster, the prospects, the, the draft, all that stuff. Um, so that president position, we're assuming Danny's uh, kind of in line to be the general manager, seeing as he's the interim general manager. So the president position is a big one. Now, we've heard some names. I know on Hockey Night in Canada and Free just talked about this. Some names that he put, uh, brought up were Eric Lindros, uh, Chris Pronger, uh, Edzo is another guy at Eolchek. Uh, Robert Esch's name came up on Hockey Night in Canada. 
you know, I, I look at that and I go, well, what, what does that person need to be? What are the areas that and boxes, whoever that person is, needs to check? Because Danny is a first time general manager. So there's going to be elements of the job that he's going to need some guidance on, frankly. So, so yeah. you know, just grabbing a name like Lindros to me doesn't seem particularly wise. He may have a role in the organization. I'm fine with that. But I don't know if the president role is the right one for him. I know Pronger worked in the front office down in Florida with Peter Luco uh, when he retired for a bit, but has gone on to his travel business with his wife. I don't know. I don't even know their desire to get into the game, but I think it's pretty paramount that that guy's got some high level executive experience in the NHL. I, I completely, I completely agree. Um, I think that the role, the role of team president, obviously there's a, there's a hockey operations element to it, you know, as a, as a primary component. So, you know, you, you oversee, you know, Dan, Danny's, Danny's the GM, so he, he does hiring in, in these regards. But, you know, the team president can and should assess how the assistant GM is doing. If you have a player personnel director, how's he doing? Your, your scouts, right? Who Who's pulling their weight? Medical. I mean, yeah, and, and there's also, of course, the, you know, your NHL coach, your players. I mean, they're, you know, Danny. Danny's the front line on that, but he the team president is over Danny and they need, they need to work together and they need to communicate that that's one, that that's one vital aspect of it. And, and it does take, I think, it does take, I think some significant leadership experience doing that, um, you know, and, and possibly having been a GM himself or either, either that or having been in a team president role for, for a period of time previously, because that's uh, it's very hard having, having two guys in such vital positions, both learning on the job. Um, I, I think getting any experience in that regard. Um, but there's, there's other elements too to the team president job that uh, a lot of it is behind the scenes, you know, in, in many, I'd say most, <laughs> virtually every organization, you have many different arms of the organization and uh, the team president oversees all of that. And it's not uncommon in, in the business world. I don't care what business it is. Hockey is not no exception to it to have, territorial battles inside of an organization, whether it's between sales and marketing, you know, um, uh, are they, uh, maybe the marketing people are complaining that the, the hockey people aren't, aren't, uh, you know, aren't sensitive to what they need. Um, you know, they you're, you have to, you do have to worry about the bottom line and, and ticket sales. You have to worry about you know, all, all the different things. The, the PR be a gatekeeper though. There's gotta be a gatekeeper. Yeah, well, exactly. Exactly. And, and they're also, they're also because the GM's primary responsibility is, is the hockey team. You know, every organization has to have an identity and a culture. And, <laughs> you know, things evolve over time. But, uh, you know, what would set the Flyers organization apart from other organizations? You have to have that, you have to have that, that big picture macro planning aspect to, to being a general manager. And it's very hard to do that and be the GM. Yeah, I, I think a, a GM can get compromised in a way, too, when he's dealing with ownership so much because ownership it wants butts in the seats because, as you said before, Bill, it's a business. And frankly, my GM should not, in a way, have to worry about that. I don't want that tainting his, uh, you know, his timeline, his plan and all of those things. And that's where the buffer of the president really comes in. 
So uh, who are some p- potential guys? I know that uh, Ray Shiro is a guy that name that has been mentioned. There's been others out there who are some potential candidates that could be in line for this uh, president's job because, you know, Frege and, and they said on Hockey Night in Canada, there is a ton of interest in this. There's a lot of intrigue. So, I mean, it's a good market. It's a big market, a top five market in the U.S. And if you can return this team uh, to prominence in the NHL, then, you know, there's a lot that comes with that and a lot of pride. And, you know, I think some people say, well, why would anybody want to come here and deal with this mess? You know, I, these guys don't think like that. <laughs> they, they, they don't. Every, every, everybody who's potentially a candidate, and again, in any market, but they have to believe in their heart of hearts that I, I'm the one, I'm the guy that can do this. And I mean, look at, look, look at where Toronto was at one point and they, they had no, no problem realigning, realigning their front office. Uh, I mean, that's, uh, you know, it, it's a prestige job. Now, people, people um, have, have said, and people who never worked for the Flyers, they, say, you know, they think of the original six and they think of the Flyers basically, basically almost the same way they, they view the original six teams. They, it's a it's a prestige franchise because of its history, because of the name, because of you know all the emotions that the the Flyers organization conjures up. So I mean that it, it'll definitely be an in desire position. Um, I think that the process they they need they can't go too slowly, but I think they need to see who may become available during the off season. Yeah. Um, you know, right right now the pool is anybody who's not actively working in the NHL. Um, but inevitably, inevitably, there's turnover after after the season. So, you know, and and as teams get eliminated, maybe a little early from the playoffs, you know, other names come on there. So I think when uh, Ray's Ray's name is an obvious one, and and not just because of his last name. Uh, you know, I knew I knew when that name was put out there was a possibility. Oh well, it's nepotism. Blah, same old Flyers. You know, other than the fact that that. Ray's dad passed away 30 years ago, and Fred Shiro last worked for the Flyers in 1978, and everybody he worked for and worked worked with is no longer with us. So I I, I don't see a nepotism argument there. Other other than you know what a what a vital figure in team history his father was, but uh, I was talking about Ray's own merits as a guy who a has overseen two rebuilds, has a cup ring. And uh, he's also proven point that sometimes, sometimes when you judge a guy a couple of you know a number of years into a rebuild, and then all of a sudden a year or two after that, well, in this case I guess three years, the team suddenly, with that core group, a much of that core group, is now poised to be a contender for a long period of time. And uh, certainly Tom Fitzgerald has had a big part of it with the Devils too, but. Uh, a lot of those names who, who are at the top of the Devils roster, and particularly their forwards, were put in place by Shiro. So if the Devils ever do take the next steps here, um, you know, Ray Shiro will have his hands on that too. So I, I think that you know, I think that he knows how to oversee the process. He, he's somebody who commands a ton of respect around the league. So that, that's an obvious name out there. He's in he's in a senior advisor role with, with the Wild, but I mean, if nobody would stand in his way to yeah. be team president. Um, you know, you, you can look at other teams that have won Stanley Cups within the last 10 years, you know, um, I, I, I'll tell you, you know, I'll tell you the people that are too just, I, I think anybody who, who is available this year 
you know, they, they can try to build a case. I mean, Chris Pronger, I'm not saying Chris Pronger would be the wrong guy, other than the fact that he he has fairly limited front office experience if he wants to do it. Um, you know, you have names that uh, – of guys who, who might become available this summer, um, who've won semi-recent Stanley Cups, and I think the fan base would push back against um, Craig Berube being an example because he's, he's won a Stanley Cup, but, you know, but, but he's, he's a hockey bright guy, et cetera. I, I th- you know, I, I think, I think going into this, you know, they, they should consider a, a wide array of possibilities. You hear Eric Tolsky's name yeah. from, uh, from Carolina, Carolina. and he's, uh, you know, he's the analytic, he's the analytics guru there. And, um, you know, he's very good at what he does in, in Carolina. He's had, he's had an important hand in, in where they are, you know, how they are, where they are. Um, now, does that translate to being a team president or, or being the GM if they were to, to go in this different direction from Danny at some point? Although I don't think that's going to happen over the next year. But but if, but if it were, theoretically, you know, um, could, it, could he be the next big thing? Yeah. You know, could, could he be... Uh, could John Chayka. Like John Chayka, right? Yeah. Or, 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 you know, somewhere in the middle, like, like Dubas, who's been a success, but still Toronto hasn't got any further than they've been in, you know, what... 2004. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, new thinking isn't always better thinking. And, and the, the, uh, so I, I think you have to be open to a wide array of candidates. What, th- what is their vision? And, you know, the other I, thing, I, Bill, too, the, the more people you talk to, you can get a lot of information from people. Yeah. You really can. For, for sure. And I think, I think you go in without any preconceived ideas and, and you go in. Well, what what is somebody's vision? What's their plan? And so, you know, just as just as the last name Shiro shouldn't automatically disqualify Ray Shiro, um, you know, I, I think that somebody's youth level or, or what their past jobs have been, if they haven't been a team president or GM before, but at least in the game for a long period of time in the NHL, had some recent success. I mean, all those things I think would, would check boxes, but that they might have they might have accomplished it in very different ways. You know, that's one of the things you see on social media and social media is maybe 20% of, you know, hockey fans in the country are on social media, but it's obviously very vocal. And one of the big things you see now is no former flyers and nobody with ties to the organization. Chuck Fletcher. Yeah. he, He worked for Bob Clark in Florida many years ago, but you look around the NHL and there's a reason why so many former players end up working for their former team. Because if I'm a hiring guy, I want to know the character of who I'm hiring and putting in that position. I want to know, you know, their acumen. And, you know, you know those guys. You know their compete level and how that can translate as an executive. And, you know, I look at a guy like Steve Eiserman who's in Detroit. Yeah, he was in Tampa before. I look at Joe Sackick, who's been now in Colorado for a number of years. Chris Drury, who is now with the Rangers, played for the Rangers. I mean, Kevin Adams, they're, they're all over the league. This yeah. isn't a Flyers exclusive thing. And I'm not eliminating anybody because they played here, but I, and I'm not giving anybody bonus points because they didn't. Uh, but we'll see how that part of it goes, you know, with this offseason and how they assemble this um, timeline on that president job. But you think that's prior to the draft? Because, you know, a lot yeah. of contracts end on June 30th. That's a hockey yeah. uh, fiscal calendar. Uh, I think it needs to be. I think it needs to be. The, where the priority number one is because I, as you staff beyond that, as other things shift around, 
as you're evaluating uh, the job performance of people who may stay or, or may not be retained, you know, the, the whole idea of separating the two jobs is, is to have those those functions and two guys to, to bounce things off of one another. And I think you have to have that in place before you before you take the steps after that. Yeah. So I think I think that that has to be um, done relatively fast um, before the draft is realistic. And then you then you adjust adjust further um, after that. Bill, one of the other areas that a lot of fire fans think, okay, good first step. You moved on from Chuck Fletcher. Danny's the interim for now. We'll see if he gets the job. Uh, but the advisors, as they're now called, affectionately. And Danny attacked it in his media availability yesterday. And you're talking about Bobby Clark, Bill Barber, and Paul Holmgren. And naturally, when the franchise is in the state that it's in right now, and they're not making the playoffs again, and they do need the, the rebuild, um, you know, you there's a lot of revisionist history about those guys. Now, th- they're involved, but not involved. Clarkie is down in Florida right now golfing. He's got a tee time tomorrow, I'm sure. And Homer's going to be hanging out with the grandkids and stuff. But they have been advisors, and that has been a bone of contention. Maybe, you know, part of this, too, is, you know, there was too many cooks in the kitchen, and there was too much input from too many different places, and you become a a manager that's trying to please all, but and by virtue, you're pleasing nobody. So, you know, the future of the advisors is a big thing. Um, moving forward, it's got to be, I think, handled delicately. And I thought Danny handled the question about it very well. But I would imagine that the advisors will kind of fade off a little bit here in this regime moving forward. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the advisors are, are not a monolith anyway. They all have their own views and their own styles. Um, you know, uh, they're, they're pretty close knit as a group and, and uh, many of the guys come from the same era. Uh, and let's, by the way, we also should add Dean Lombardi into that group because Dean, yeah. Dean's actually been a little more hands-on than, than other guys who, you know, and, and I mean, Dean does have past flyers ties. He did work here before, but I mean, he, he did his real body of work as a general manager elsewhere yeah. in San Jose and he did, did in Los Angeles. Um, so, you know, but, um, but the group of advisors, you know, it, it, it's interesting. Um, it, it's something that people have uh, some preconceived ideas of what they do and what they don't do, and whether you know it's not a group that, on the whole, has actually had a lot of player personnel. So um, certainly, the decision-making power, and they all have different styles too. Uh, you know, I can I can actually speak to that a little bit firsthand. Um, uh, I. I've been in meetings that Paul, that Paul Holmgren has, uh, you know, has been involved in. I, I know, I know, for example, that that in a meeting, Paul does a lot of listening and a little talking, but when he's talking, it's straight to the point. You know, he's, he's blunt his opinions, um, and then ultimately, whatever decision the group makes, you know, he, he's a team player, so he'll, he'll go along with it. And particularly if he's not the one actually making the decision at that point, so. You know, I, I mean, I, I've seen a little bit of that firsthand. Um, Bill Barber, you know, and, and one of one of the coolest experiences I've had in my life was I sat I sat on a, a bus next to Bill Barber. I was a Flyers alumni outing, and it was about twenty five minutes each way. You know, it was it was during during fantasy camp, and and so it was just just a, just you know just to chat and and talking about the World Junior Championships and 
just just things in general. It wasn't an interview; it was just a, just dialogue, and uh, you know, just just kind of feeling him out on stuff. I mean, I've known him, seen seen him around, said hi to him for years, but never really gotten just a just a hockey discussion because that's all it was was a, was a dialogue. Um, you know, I, it's uh, I think sometimes when you have an opportunity to do that, you get a little different slant on somebody. Yeah. Um, you have your preconceived notion, but then the reality is a little different. Yeah, we, we do. And, you know, I, I think that um, I'll give you an example of, of how Homer and Clarkie differ, for example. I think everybody thinks that, that Homer and Clarkie view everything about the game the same way. And they don't. You know, I, I think Clarkie's, um, Clarkie's assessment of defensemen, for example, more, more old school than, than uh, you know, than, than, than Homer's. I mean, Clarkie, uh, Clarkie doesn't <laughs> – you know, Clarkie likes when a uh, demon goes up the wall with the puck. Does doesn't like doesn't like it going across very much. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, the, the, that, that's a big part of the game today. Uh, and Homer, Homer actually has nothing against. And he he said that one of the ways the game has changed is smaller, quicker defensemen. And and Clarkie still likes it kind of how it was in the, you know, in the, the freeze clears mid nineties. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The the Darian Hatcher model. Yeah, and, and you have a, you need you need a few guys like that. You know, and you might may have your one offensive guy. Just that's just, just one example of many. But they're they're so it's not it's not like they're a model. They're they're in lockstep over everything. Um, I, I do think the too many cooks thing. I mean, that, that's fair. You, I mean, for better or for worse, uh, one of the one of the characteristics of, of Chuck Fletcher is he is very collaborative. He yeah. wanted he wanted those voices around him. Um, you know, I I think that. Uh, you know, and, and this may be a, a, a crass example or a bad example, but, uh, you know, I, I think one of the things, if you look at American history, sometimes presidents that have been too collaborative, they, they, they light up a bunch of advisors who uh, advocate for very different viewpoints because they want to have an array of information. Jimmy Carter is one of those, um, you know, who, and the, the, sometimes you get so much input that you end up with inaction. Yeah, it paralyzes you. You, you, you paralysis by analysis. You waste so many considerations that by the time you actually take an action, it might be too late at that point. I think we so, saw that recently. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, no, hundred, hundred percent, right? Uh, and I think that that might be one of the one of the fair criticisms of Chuck is that uh, that op- the windows of opportunity pass by because you're you're weighing you're weighing all the possibilities. Do we wait? Do we move now? Is this a fair? You know. Is, is this fair? Is, does this help us out you know, in the long term, short term, whatever? Um, so, you know, I, I think that um, I think that when when the uh, Chuck was hired, they talked about a bias for action, and and as it as it turned out, although he did he did make some moves that were bold. Unfortunately, most of those didn't work out, like like Ryan Ellis. Yeah, you know, for very. I mean, even right out of the shoot, Niskanen and Gudis was a move that was widely panned. Oh, oh, and it, it was, it was, and there was that one, that one aberration. It turned out one aberration here, right off the, right off the bat. But if, but if the nineteen twenty season was the jump off point that uh, it had hoped to be, well, Chuck would still be here, and uh, you know there, there'd be a, a, a lot of things would be different right now. But that's that's not how it worked out. When when that didn't work out, ultimately a year, a year, two years after that, you know, it, it's kind of. Kind of unravel to where it is now, but I but I do think and I do hope that when 
Danny comes to those decision points, there's a the, the decision is made with a, a, a long-term plan in mind that there are alternative courses. Because I think I think in some cases where things didn't work out, the Flyers kind of scrambled to Band-Aid. scrambled to advance. And put a band-aid on, on, on a gunshot wound sometimes. No, no, exactly, Jason. Exactly. And then you you know, it's like, well, if if Ryan Ellis had been healthy, then, then you don't get Tony D'Angelo for all the picks that uh, you know that particular trade has cost, and and uh, so on down the line. If you don't lose Niskanen, then you probably don't get Ristolainen. If, if you think if you think uh, you know Niski could have gone another another couple of years to go, and you could maybe develop somebody within, then you're not trading a first round and, and second round pick, et cetera. You you know for Ristolainen, or or maybe you maybe you explore it. But you see what the what the price point is, and you know oh, that's maybe more than we want to spend. And so they Nolan Patrick and Kevin you know, Hayes go go all yeah go go all the way back right, and and so what were the what were the attempted corrective courses, yeah. um you know and and in some cases in some cases like the Eric Gustafson experiment which thankfully was only for one season, Oof. but that was that was not one that was very well considered. Yeah, so I agree. So that's, um, that's just that, yeah, just just all decisions. That's, that's anyway. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, you know, one of the things too that Danny said is this is a rebuild, but I want to make it clear it's not a fire sale. Yeah. And the Flyers, I just don't think are in a position to do a fire sale anyway. With you know Sean Couturier and a huge question mark about you know his future. I, I know he's skating; he's going to skate this week apparently with the team, along with Travis Konechny. Uh, so you know, obviously a long term deal there, and there's a lot of variables to it, obviously. And you can't just sell guys off for pennies on the dollar. It's not going to be a, that that's not going to work, um, but it is a rebuild. I refuse at this point, Bill, and, and probably in the very, in pr- pretty long here uh, t- while I'm not going to put any kind of timeline on this, but because that can change very quickly. If you get lottery luck and you end up with a Connor Bedard or a Fantilli or Meechkoff and he comes over, all those things can change you know, the timeline of a rebuild, but there are certain players on this roster now that are in their prime, frankly, guys like Travis and Acne. do they fit the timeline of the organizational rebuild? And, and that's a question. And even Carter Hart at 24 years of age, if you can believe it, where I've been dismissive of ever thinking about moving Hart. I'm not as this, I'm not saying I want them to, but I'm not as dismissive as I was about that notion of moving him. You know, we haven't seen enough of Sam Harrison for me to feel good about that, although I like the way he's played. But, you know, all these guys, you know, may not fit the timeline now. Guys that are in their 26, 27 years of age, not just Kevin Hayes, who's 30. It's, it could be other guys now. So I, I think we could possibly see some more turnover this offseason to the roster than we thought. And now I have to rethink my whole thing about next year's got to be a step forward. <laughs> yeah. No, for, for sure, and and what uh, what would constitute a, a full fledged fire sale to me? You know, Carter Hart, Travis Konechny, Provorov, Sandheim, Provorov, and Sandheim without without a particular person immediately in mind who's going to take those minutes because you're not you're not going to hit the free agent market to try to replace those guys. You do that, I mean, you will you will collect assets, but it means things will probably get worse before they get better significantly worse yeah for sure and 
you know, a part of part of the decision process too is deciding which of the younger players are, are going to be part of this too, and which might be guys you might include in a, in a trade package that would bring back in a, you know another younger player potentially. Um, you know, when when Chuck had his next to last press conference, um, not the one after the deadline last Friday, but the one on Tuesday, where he was talking about it going into it. I mean, he named a group of young players, so he said that he's not looking to move. Um, and he, he, the names you would expect to be in there. Um, you know, obviously, he had Noah Cates in there. He had Owen Tippett in there. He did say Farabee, and he did say Frost. Those are the two names that kind of get kicked around and debated. Uh, and he, he may uh, obviously put Cam York in there. And um, he I don't remember whether he said Wade Allison or not. He may or may not have. But uh, but it was it was that that was the group that he said that he's not these are guys he believes are now or already established NHL players and he wants to see them continue to grow. So it was actually I asked the question so without going into individuals because I know those assessments will be made after season. But does that generally describe the group that you anticipate being here and continuing to try to build around? And and Danny you know rightfully hedged it to a degree and said well listen to me, Wayne Gretzky was traded so nobody nobody's untouchable. Yeah. But does the, the, the you know, and he said that he anticipates those that group of players that Chuck identified being being the group that that's here for you know in the next season and then hopefully beyond next season. It all depends on how those guys continue to evolve too. It's not you know it's not it's not one year where you know you're going to be here get a big extension you're going to be here for X number of years, but but plans to go through the off season plan for next year for those guys being part of the mix. So that was a, that was a little clue as to, to where they might be thinking with some of those guys, but things change and they can change quickly. So we'll see. Yeah. I mean, TK is a really interesting one too. 54 points in 52 games this year. We'll see if he's able to get back in a couple more before it's all said and done, but very good season when he was healthy he had a couple weird injuries the hand when he was just on the half wall and kind of got run into. And then the one to hit from behind, which is sidelined him here in this stint. But I mean, to me, that's a really interesting one, a player that can help a lot of teams and he would have good value. The contract is very palatable to me. That's going to be an interesting one. And then Carter, I mean, obviously goaltending usually doesn't yield you the return. You would think it would commensurate with the importance of the position. It's, it's odd, but also, you know, you don't want to be spending huge dollars on a goaltender when you're in a rebuild. It's almost counterintuitive yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. So uh, and I, you're I don't know where they go. And you're also choosing what veterans you're, you're going to keep around to be, to Mentors. be stabilizers and leadership guys. Even if you're not winning, you know, uh, like, like a guy like Cam Atkinson can, you know, you're deciding, okay, but does his veteran presence and, and his, his very positive, upbeat nature. That's assuming Cam's healthy, of course, and, and is, is playing next year. That's uh, yeah, we we won't we won't know that until he comes back and he plays. But you're also you're also choosing for you're also choosing for guys who you're not you're not moving, but you're keeping around to to help provide some stability along the way. Because if, if you just leave a, a young group with no leaders and a drift, and by the way, this is an area where I think Buffalo really came up short. Um, in much of this process where they had a lot of young players, so many young players, but, but very few, very few stabilizers, very few veterans who've been through it. And, you know, you're, you know, you're not going to win there, but you're, but you're, it's part of your career legacy and passing it along to the next group. Um, it's not, it's not an easy thing to do. Everybody wants to win. Yeah. 
you know. So choosing who who are those guys who are going to model uh, positive things going forward. Um, obviously, we've talked about the all the all that's tied up in whether Sean Couturier can stay healthy and play again. Um, you know, there you know you, uh, part part of this whole process too. I guess the last thing I'll, I'll say is that uh, cap, man- cap management and cap planning has to be part of this too. Yep. Um, you know, the, the Flyers are in bad shape cap-wise, and, and part of this and part of going largely young and, and not not hitting the free agent market in, in a meaningful way until you feel like you're ready or close to ready or you've taken some, some small steps and you feel like you, you're ready for some bigger steps you know, is going to be get, getting on top of the cap. Um you know, and yes, like yes, I'll probably be bumped in, in another year, but the the Flyers have spent too much time in, in recent years, uh, and they, and they were one one juncture before that too, um, really hamstrung by the cap, very limited in what you can do, yeah, and, handcuffed, and who you can, who you can move, yeah. and and anytime you're dealing from a position of weakness, that makes it very very hard to to get fair deals for yourself. That, that's yeah. you're giving up way way too much, or you know, or you're getting not enough back in return. So that's, uh, you know, so those, those are all big challenges. And I, I'm, I'm looking forward to see how they're handled because, you know, there, there's some, uh, there's an element of risk involved in just about all these decisions. So you, you can't be afraid to take some risk, but you can't take foolish risks. Either. One name that uh, Danny mentioned several times in the press conference, I think it was three or four, was Dan, Dave and Dan. And Dan is Dan Hilferty who the press release went out on Dan on uh, February 14th. It was Valentine's Day. I don't think that was planned because it was Valentine's Day. But uh, do you think, Bill, that the role for Dan Hilferty is one that we should, uh, a name that we should probably be hearing a lot more from and likely uh, pending retirement of a guy like Dave Scott? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Very, very simply, yes. Um, I, I don't, you know, I, I have no inside information on it, but I don't, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know how many more years Dave plans to do it. And, and uh, they didn't bring Dan Helferty for no reason. Yeah. You know, um, you know, he, I mean, Val Camillo was there, but, it, but her, her role is, is delineated a little, little bit differently um, than, than I believe Dan Helferty's will be. So you know, the, fact, the fact that Danny mentioned him a couple of times, that, that certainly caught my ear. Mm-hmm. Um, because Dan's, o- Dan's only only been here for a very short time, and uh, yeah, I think I think that's a name that we'll we'll be hearing a lot of. I, I suspect, um, you know, in the the pretty near future. So I, I think that that's uh, that's part of this organization moving forward. And then then and it wasn't accidental that his name came up several times. Yeah, he was named the chief executive officer. Um, back on February 14th. So um, I got some insight on him from a guy that plays golf, the same club as him, but, and he's a great guy and insane competitor. So uh, those things are good, but only time will tell like on so many of these decisions and replacements and everything else, where it all goes and how it all breaks down, but it's going to be an intriguing time. No question about it. You know, we all hope everybody listening to this podcast, if you're listening to this, you're very likely a flyer fan and you know, we all hope that the right decisions are made. A little luck comes their way as well. I said this on uh, yesterday's episode, Bill. I said, I was talking about Tyson Forster. And I said, you know, a lot of these prospects, they got to hit. They got to become what 
you know, what we the projected to be. And I said, and frankly, some of them got to surpass that. That's yeah. just the reality. Den YA is going to surpass it. Here he has, I think, as a fifth round pick. But like Tyson Forster, the skating still needs to get a little bit better. But to me, he didn't look out of place. He didn't look overwhelmed. He looked ready. Um, and these picks, when they get to the end, sometimes when a guy is going through the, the steps to getting to the NHL and the best league in the world, they're good at certain levels and they look ready to make the next jump. And then when they get to the highest level, they become an even better player because maybe they didn't even know it, but sometimes players just play better with better players around them. It unlocks an element of their game. And frankly, that needs to happen. No, no question. No question. You know, even, I mean, even a, even a guy like uh, Owen Tippett, who anybody who's been watching the games will tell you that, Oh, and Tip has just been unbelievable. But, you know, like, Tip still having issues finishing plays off. Um, you know, still has, I think, what, 34 points in the season, I guess, and, and 18 goals for all the scoring chances he has and he generates and all that skill level. There's another level to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, he, you know, he has to figure out how to unlock that. And, I mean, there's, there's a physical part of it. There's a mental part of it. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's a doubt that he's an NHL player. I mean, that was no. some people were questioning even that when he first came over from from Florida. Like he was um, key for Bellows, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, the, the, there's uh, you know, the, there's still more for guys to prove. And some guys, some guys will have to exceed those expectations and have you know hit hit a level that uh, probably was beyond what would have been expected a year or two ago. Even you, know, you mentioned you mentioned Denoye. Um, well, look, I mean, he, he, you know, he's leading the Phantoms or tied, tied in any way with LaForcer for the, the team goal scoring lead. That was not expected this quickly. No. You know, so that, that, that's an example of a guy taking a jump and maybe, maybe in a positive way, you have to reevaluate. Well, maybe he can do a little more than we thought. And, and you need, you know, there, there's an element of luck in that as well as good design. So the Flyers are need no shortage of luck in this process, too. Let's, let's not fool ourselves. Yeah, we may be able to get a little bit of that luck. I don't know if Danny inherently is a lucky guy. I don't know if he's, you know, you have some friends where everything always seems to go their way. You're like, geez, man, does ever does a black cloud ever fall over your head? And then there's other guys where it's constantly over there. I don't know what it is for Danny. I'll have to ask him uh, when I talk to him after the GM meetings this week and uh, see how that has kind of treated him. But uh, he's a self-made guy, so, um, and worked his way. I mean, in Arizona, when he first started his career, there was a lot of questions. He had to work, work, work to become the player that he did. So, um, yeah. yeah. And, you know, he's a guy that is not afraid of this challenge and it is going to be a challenge. There's no doubt about it. Um, last thing, Bill, John Tortorella. Um, you know, Torts had mentioned Danny's name a couple of times prior to even Chuck being fired as being a guy that he loved talking hockey with and very intelligent and all those things. I imagine that, um, Torts is his coach because whoever the GM is, that's got to be a decision you're on board with, uh, with the head coach. Uh, but I imagine that Danny's copacetic with uh, Torts. Uh, I would think that that would have had to been part of this process before Danny was even named in. Or, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I think that that's uh, that part's in there. And, and listen, you know, I, I, I would think that the interim title gets removed this offseason. That, that interim. Interim is essentially an indication that all the real GMing is going to start taking place after the season. And right now, right now he's just getting organized and preparing to do those things. A little so head start. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's, 
that's the genesis of the you know uh, the interim tag um and and getting on page getting on the same page as other people starting to assess things so i i would expect that uh, at least by the draft or shortly by july 1st that the 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 interim tag is removed and uh you know how how long the regime goes only time will tell um you know i i, I, I speak for myself for you for you know many people who 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 really like danny the person and and uh respect what he's done in his career but you know certainly i'm pulling for him and and uh you know i think i think he has the credentials to uh the tools at least you know to be successful in the job but again it's uh it's a big undertaking and and, and we'll see we'll, we'll we'll see uh as the months and and the uh you know and hopefully years go by right so uh but but it, it was a change definitely a changing of the guard and and a and a, a first step in the new era yeah, and I think we'll see more of that changing in the guard uh, through this offseason in a lot of ways. So, all right, we'll wrap it up there, Bill. Everybody, thanks for listening. We appreciate it as always. Uh, check out Bill's work on NHL.com, PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, HockeyBuzz.com. Great dialogue there as well in the written word. It was a fantastic job. So, everybody, enjoy your Monday. Try and just take a deep breath. It's the dawn of a new day in Flyerland and even on Flyers Twitter, which may just implode altogether. All right, everybody, we'll talk to you tomorrow. We'll give you a game preview as the Flyers' seven-game homestand will begin with Vegas, and uh, that's all coming up tomorrow on a brand-new Flyers Daily. Have a great day. If I say-